weekend, we're, we're looking at, at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. So if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, uh, if you like to follow along, read along, uh, you, can, you can find your place. We're going to use Romans chapter 8 and a couple other places as well. The title of this message is, is Living Without Condemnation. Just living, living without condemnation about the gospel. This is just a gospel message, and then in a few minutes, we'll, we'll take communion together um, as, as a church family. And so I, I don't know what God's doing in our church. It's a little bit of a mystery to me. Uh, just by us introducing communion, uh, that our attendance, you, you can't tell it in this service, maybe because of the snow and ice or whatever, uh, but our attendance has, has jumped two to 300 uh, since we've started just communion and just acknowledging him and acknowledging his presence and just making space for him. And so I, I pray that, it, I pray that it's, it's blessed you. I pray that it, 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 it's, it's meaningful to you. And so today's message is just learning to live without condemnation. And, and honestly, it's what communion reminds us of. It's what communion represents. <coughs> it's helping us understand. <coughs> Excuse me. Helping us understand that we do not live with, uh, with or under condemnation. I have a really close pastor friends that has a church a lot like ours. They do a prayer response at the end of every service like we do. And so uh, he told me here a while back that he had this lady in, her, in, in his church, and we'll call her Betty. Uh, but Betty, every week for like six or seven weeks straight, she's coming down and she's asking for prayer. And so every week she's coming to the pastor and she's asking the, my friend, the pastor, for prayer. And it, it's things like, God, you know, you need to pray for me. I have a lot of guilt or you need to pray for me, I have a lot of shame, or you need to pray for me, God, God is unhappy with me about this, or God is upset about this, or God wants me to change this, or God wants me to deal with this. And so this goes on for like six or seven weeks. And my friend was getting more and more frustrated. And so one week she came down and she says, you need to pray for me. God is not happy with me at all, and he wants me to change some things. And so my friend just finally had enough, and he looked at her and he says, Betty, can I ask you a question? And she said, sure. He says, does God ever say anything good to you? Does God ever speak a word into your life that you're totally and completely forgiven? That you're deeply loved in him? That you're perfect and complete? Does God always have a negative word for you? Or does God just sometimes just speak a word into your life? And what I'm learning, what I'm realizing, there are a lot of Christians that are living under condemnation. And they're living under condemnation and guilt and shame and fear. And this is really and truly a gospel issue. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 8. Now, if God came to me and said, hey, Charlie, for the rest of your ministry, you're going to have to pick one chapter of the Bible, and that's all you're going to be able to preach out of for the rest of your ministry, what chapter would that be? I want you to know it'd be Romans chapter 8. It'd be Romans chapter 8, because Romans chapter 8 helps us to understand as believers that we don't have to live, and we don't live under condemnation, we don't live under shame, and we don't live under guilt. See, this... I think sometimes this is the problem in the church is a lot of us as Christians, we, we understand salvation, right? You, you ask the average Christian, hey, how do you go to heaven? What is the plan of salvation? Some of those other things. And they may quote John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And then whosoever shall believe in him shall have eternal life. Some people can quote quote Romans that if you, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. And so there's a lot of people that can say, you know what, I, I can tell you the plan of salvation. But then they get to the, the gospel. See, we, we, know, we know how to become a Christian, but many times we don't know how to live like a Christian. 
And so this is one of the things that's driving me right, right now. This is one of the things of, of just driving me, of bringing in communion to our, our, our worship, to where it's a part of worship, and we make God central and understand that God is here. So we understand the gospel. We understand that this is a gospel issue about how we live the Christian life. And so I, I get this. I understand this. For, for, for probably the first 10 years of me being a Christian, I dealt with a lot of shame and guilt and fear. I lived under a lot of condemnation. See, the church that I came into was heavy, heavy on truth, but not so heavy on, the, on, on grace. And I thank the Lord for my church, and I thank the Lord for my background that I came into the church, and, and I met Christ, and I started learning doctrine, and I started learning scripture, and, and all of those other things. But, but my church was heavy, heavy on truth, and heavy, heavy on salvation, but not so, but not so heavy on this issue of just, just the gospel issue of forgiveness and love that he has for us. I mean, I heard things. I don't know if you've heard this, and, and I, was, I came to Christ in the Bible Belt, so that is like a different place. And so I, I heard things like that as a believer when you go to heaven that, that God's going to review all of your sins for you. I mean, there's going to be like this big video screen in the sky, and, he's going to, and you're going to have to give an account for all of that. And so they didn't understand the blood, and they didn't understand the atonement. They didn't understand what Christ did for us on the cross. In a few years of being a Christian, I was invited by my church, and it was a large church, to be the assistant student pastor. They came to me, and said, there's something different about you, and God's hand is on you. And I didn't say yes, and you know why I didn't say yes? Guilt, shame, and fear of the past. I didn't think God could use me. I didn't think God could forgive me for some of the things that I'd done before I became a Christian. I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I thought I was not usable of God. And so this is a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue when you believe that as a Christian that you have to live under shame and guilt and fear. Or it's a gospel issue if you believe that, guess what, I could, I could like lose my salvation at any moment and not even really know it. I mean, I could get kicked out of the family. I mean, I'm living under shame, and I'm living under guilt, and I'm living under fear. That's why last week we looked at this issue of, of, of adoption, Romans 8.15. The Scripture says that Paul says that you've been adopted into the family of God. And because of that, he doesn't want us to fall back into the slavery of fear, but we want us to realize that we have a Father, an Abba Father, an intimate Father that we can, we can cry out to and have access to 24-7. And he used this term adoption, which in their culture, that, 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 that in the Roman culture, that, that you you could like you could like disown a biological child but you could not disown a, an adopted child and paul was trying to help them to understand that guess what guess what you have been adopted you've been grafted in you've been adopted into the family and as a result of that there's nothing god's ever going to do to kick you out of the family there's nothing that god's ever going to do to reject you or to disown you Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, here's what it says, and, and then I'm going to ask three questions and answer them, and then we're going to take communion together. And so here's what he says. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's just Paul's way of saying believers. Because the law of the Spirit of life is in Christ Jesus has what? Has set you free from the law of sin and death. So when we look at this issue of uh, condemnation, and we have to like grab, try to grab like a working definition so that we're all like tracking, like what is condemnation? And I honestly think the easiest way to understand condemnation is not so much grabbing a, a definition out of Webster's or a dictionary, but, but looking at, talking about how condemnation makes you feel. Because then it becomes very clear. 
it becomes very clear what is condemnation. So some of the things that condemnation does to you or does to me, it can, it can make you feel guilty, right? I mean, to where you just carry around guilt. And so you know you did wrong, and you feel like you're condemned for it. And as a result of that, you're living out your Christian life like you're on, like you're on death row and like you're in prison, like you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. You feel guilty, and there's nothing you can do about it. So one of the things that condemnation does to you and me is what? Is first, it'll make you feel guilty. The second thing is this. You feel a lot of fear in your life. I mean, you, you, I mean fear of punishment. I mean, fear of punishment. And I'm not only guilty... But I'm going to be punished. I'm not only guilty, but God's, God's, God's going to live his life out trying, trying to get just even with me and trying to punish me. And so then all of a sudden the, the dishwasher breaks or the car breaks or you have a flat tire and you go, oh, I, God's getting even with me. I, I, I didn't read my Bible. I didn't go to church or I said this or I did this. And like, like my whole life I feel like God is punishing me. And as a result of that, I did wrong and I'm going to be condemned. So condemnation can make you feel guilty and condemnation can cause you to live in fear. That any moment, guess what? I could get kicked out of the family of God. I could like lose my salvation. And so that's what condemnation will do to us. But it also will cause you to have some self-rejection to where, you know, you know what? I blew it. I, I'll, I'll always do wrong. I'll never measure up. And so when you look at Scripture, you realize that the Scripture is clear, that God doesn't want you and he doesn't want me to live under those feelings of condemnation, of guilt and fear and shame and all of those things that bring. So I want to ask and answer three questions uh, before we take communion together, the first one is this, is how does God respond when I sin? Because I think that's important to discuss. I mean, how does God resp re uh, respond when I sin? And, and so, you know, maybe one of the ways that I can illustrate this is, is, is with my kids. I mean, my, I mean, we're in, Karen and I are in a phase of life now that we, we have a bunch of grandkids, so we parented through all of the phases of life, and now we're parenting through, like, the grandkids' age and, and, and grandkids and some of those other things. But I, I know my kids, and I know my grandkids. And so when my children sin, I, I, am, I am burdened for them, and I hurt for them, and I understand the consequences and some of those other things, but I don't disown them, right? I mean, I don't disown them. I don't kick them out of the family. Um, I, I'm, not even, I'm not even disappointed with them because I know them, and I know how they're bent. I mean, I get that. I, I get that, that given a certain set of circumstances, I know probably how they're going to respond. And so if we don't understand this, then, then we're going to avoid God out of fear. God gets it. God understands God knows the way that we're bent. God understands that we have some weaknesses. But when we sin, guess what? God still accepts me. That is so important for us to understand. He doesn't reject us. He doesn't kick us out of the family. Once you've been born again, you cannot be what? Unborn. And so you're like his child. John 6, 37. If you just need a verse on that, here's what he says. He says, everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, the salvation... I will never cast out. If you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, God is never what he says. It's his words, right? These aren't my words. These are his words. I'll never cast you out. I'll never reject you. I will never disown you. As a Christian, you never have to worry about being kicked out of the family. You never have to worry one moment you're in and another moment you're out. 
I mean, that's, that's why I use the word adoption. You've been adopted. You've been grafted in. He will never disown you. So guess what? And we'll, we'll flesh this out later. But guess what? The first thing, God still, he still accepts me. Why? Because his love for you, his love for you is like unconditional. His love is based for you is based upon his character and, and not yours. His love for you is based upon his performance and not yours. And so it's unconditional love. And our acceptance is based on our position in Christ. So that's what he says in this verse. And there's just so much theology here. It says no condemnation for those who no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just real quickly, this is kind of for free, but but the phrase in Christ was Paul's favorite term for a, a believer. 167 times in the writings of Paul in the New Testament, all the letters that he wrote, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And he wanted you to understand that your life, what Colossians says, your life has been hidden in Christ. I mean, I could, I could take my iPad, I could take a, a piece of paper, and I could take it and show it to you and stick it in my Bible, close up my Bible, and then show, it, show this to you, and you would no longer see the piece of paper, right? You just all, only thing you're going to see is the Bible. Why? Because it's, it's in the Bible. It's in the book. And what, what Paul is trying to help us to understand, the same thing is true. When we become a, a Christian, we are, we are hidden in Christ. We are in Christ. And so when God looks at us, guess what? He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the righteousness. And so positionally, positionally, we are right standing with God. Positionally, we're, this is what he's trying to say. And then another thing when we send, he is patient with our inconsistencies. He is patient with our inconsistencies. So we may get angry at ourselves and think we should be more mature by now, or we think we should have already gotten this, or we think we should have passed the test and like move on. And, and God understands. God is, God is not impatient with us. And so one of the greatest truths of scripture, scripture that you and I can learn is God is patient with you. He understands it takes time to grow. He understands it takes time to mature in him. And even when we're inconsistent, he's still consistent. Even when we're inconsistent, he has consistent love for us. Look, this, is just, this, this passage is in Psalm 103. It says, verse 13, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows, it's important, what we're made of. <laughs> Remembering that we are just dust. God knows exactly what you're made of. God knows, listen, God knows that you're human. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your frailties. He knows the way that you've been bent. God is, listen, God is never uptight. God is never irritated. Uh, and he made you. God, listen, God knows, God knows what you're like. If, if you've raised kids, you, you, you know their frailties, right? You know them. I mean, this last Wednesday night, it was, a, it was just a fun night for Karen and I. Our grandkids in Colorado Springs, at their church, they're in Awanas. And so this last, this last Wednesday night, they had grandparent night to where the kids would invite their grandparents, and it didn't end there. Uh, you got to bring your, your grandparents to Awanas night, but then your grandkids dressed up like their grandparents, which was stinking. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it's like, it's like being reflect, it's like looking into a mirror and being reflected back. Oh no, that's how they see me. And so, so Karen and I, we, we drove up and picked them up at their house and we loaded them up in the truck and we're headed to church and, and I got three grandkids in the back seat and I'm listening to their discussion and they're, they're amped up about grandparent night. They're so excited about, we're, we're taking them uh, to Awanas and then they're having this discussion about, well, how old can you be? 
I mean, how old? And so then they determined that nobody could be past the age of 127. That was their number. And so, and so we're laughing. And so we walk into grandparent night. The first thing we did, my oldest grandson looked at me and says, hey, Pop, Pop, you're not the oldest one here. And I'm like, well, thank you. Thank you very much. for. Your, I didn't even know we were worried about that. He goes, yeah, there's, a, there's some people a lot older than you here, Pop-Pop. And I said, well, thanks. That's encouraging. And so, so we, we played games with them, and, and you know, our grandkids were impressed that we could play the games and some of those other things. And then, and then if you don't know how Awanas is, you, you have game time, and then you go to your various classrooms uh, for scripture memory and some of those other things. And so Karen stayed with Nessa, our granddaughter, and then I had to split up between the two, to the two boys. And so I walk into to one of my grandson's class first, spent 15 minutes with him and 15 minutes with the other, walk into his class exactly like I expected because I know him. He's firstborn. I mean, he's in there. He has his Awana's book out. He's going through his scriptures. He's already t- trying to get points and get treasures and all those other things. And I mean, he is on it. He is like driven. He is on it. I spend 15 minutes with him, go to the other grandson's class. I walk in. He's sitting at a table all by himself, no book nothing out in front of him. He's just sitting there. And so I walk up to him, but I know him, right? And so I didn't, I didn't walk up to him and says, what are you doing? You're five. You should be more mature than this. I mean, where is your book? Don't you know you have some scripture memories? This is God's word for crying out loud. You should be more mature than this. No, why? Because I know him, right? I know him. Man, I know. It was exactly what I expected. I mean, you know what? One grandmother had to move her granddaughter from our table because when I sat down, all he wanted to talk about is his pet frog and the, and the, and the crickets that it had eaten, the color of frog's blood, and the little granddaughter was getting grossed out by it. So they literally moved to another table, and that's what he wanted to talk about. And I didn't ever condemn him or criticize him. And God is, this, listen, God is the same with you. God, I'm just telling you. When you look at Scripture, it's a gospel issue. A lot of us, we know more about how to get into the kingdom of heaven than how to live in the kingdom of heaven. In order to, listen, in order to be disappointed with somebody, you've got to expect them to do more than they can do, or you expect them to be different than they really are. God gets us the third, and the second question is this. Well, then what happens when a Christian sins? I mean, if you tell me, that I'm totally and completely forgiven, I'm deeply loved in him, I'm perfect and lacking nothing, and, and then, that God won't kick me out of the family and God won't dis, disown me, then, 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 why, then why live right? I mean, why, why do anything right? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 4, here's what the Scripture says. Paul had this question asked. See, Paul, when Paul started discussing this, this is a pushback. This was the pushback. And he says, well, what, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that the grace may multiply? And Paul said, absolutely not. Now listen, I, I, I won't quote the word in the Greek, but I'm telling you, that those two words, absolutely not, comes from one Greek word. Uh, some theologians believe it, it was a cuss word. I mean, that this like pushed Paul over the edge. He's like, absolutely not. I mean, you see the exclamation? He's just like screaming. How can we, we who died to sin still live in it? Are you unaware that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we, have been, we, we were buried with him in baptism unto de- into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
So we too may walk in newness of life. And so when you look at this issue, your sin doesn't get you kicked out of the family, and it, and it, and it makes no difference between his acceptance of you. But it does impact some consequences in your life. It can rob you of joy. It can rob you of happiness. And so the first thing that happens for the believer, when you and I sin, the first thing that happens is it brings conviction with God. I mean, he immediately convicts you. Look at this, John 16, 8. This is what Scripture says. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that, that is indwelt in us when we accept Christ is to convict us of, of sin. Conviction is just like a Bible word that, that simply means this, making you aware of sin in your life. Acts chapter 2, I mean, it helps us to understand this, that, that the role of the, the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. And, and so he's not going to lay a guilt trip on you. He's not going to use condemnation. He's not going to use shame. He's going he's to point out to you specifically what, what is wrong. So here's an example of conviction, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? So this is a clear example of conviction. I mean, have you ever, have you ever been like life journaling, like, like you're reading scripture, and then, um, and then all of a sudden you're, you're like convicted, and you, you say, you know what, that was anger, that was pride, that was gossip, that was slander, uh, that, that, was, that was an action that I shouldn't have used, that was a word that I shouldn't have used, and all of a sudden you're convicted immediately, it's like, and, and so the response is, uh, what, what should I do? I mean, what should I do? You ever been, in a, you ever been in, a, in, a, in a church service and you're hearing a sermon, and then all of a sudden something is said and it's, it's made you wonder, you know what, is that preacher like following us around? Was he in our car? Was he in our home last night? Did, you, did, did he hear our conversations? Did he, has he been following us around? And then all of a sudden, that's not the preacher, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And so it's specific. See, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, it's never in generalities. It's never you're worthless or it's never you'll never do anything right. It's just it's very specific. And so one of the ways that you and I can tell the difference between condemnation is conviction is this. Condemnation always speaks in your life guilt, shame, and fear. I am no good. I will never be any good. I will never measure up. I will never be good. Enough. That, that's, that's condemnation. That is con conviction is specific. Conviction is this. This is very specifically the action, the word, the deed. It's very specific. And then it, it, the response is, what, what, should we, what, what should we do? The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit is always specific. The Holy Spirit is always specific about a word, about an action, about a thought, about a deed, or something that you've done, so that you could do something about it. But another thing that happens when we sin, we just need to know, sin hurts other people around us and destroys our happiness. And there's, there's a thought in our culture that says, you know what, my sin only hurts me. Why does everybody get warped out about my decisions and my actions? Because it only hurts me, but yet the scriptures say, you know what, Sin not only hurts you, it hurts people around you, it hurts society, it hurts culture, it hurts your family, hurts relationships. I mean, there's harmful effects of sin, whether it's, whether, where it's physical, whether it's emotional, or where it's spiritual. Galatians 6, 6 says this, says, let no one who has taught the word share all, all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he also reaps. 
So grace or forgiveness does not exempt you and me for, for consequences of sin. It doesn't exempt us for, for consequences. It's not judgment. It's just a consequence. Everything in life, right? We know this. Everything in life has consequences, good and bad. If you, good, if you do good things, you're going to have good consequences. If you do bad things, you're going to do bad consequences. And so, so it's not judgment. It's just natural consequences. I mean, it's a lo- it's the law of sowing and reaping, right? I mean, I, I could, after the service, I'd get on I-25. I could ignore all the traffic signs and all the warning signs, and I could drive the wrong way on I-25. And if I have a head-on collision, that is not judgment. That is consequences to my actions. I can run a red light, right? I can, I can blow right through a red light, and I can have an a- accident. That is not judgment. That is consequences to my actions. So, so Paul's in the middle of the struggle, and he's saying, guess what? There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for the believer. But the other thing that happens when we sin is fellowship with God is broken. There, there's a relationship with God, and there's fellowship with God. Your relationship with God when you, when you sin is not broken. You're, you're still his son. You're still his daughter. You still have a relationship with him. But it does hurt. It does hurt the, the, the fellowship. It hurts the fellowship. And see, there's a difference between acceptance and approval. I can accept you without approving of all of your decisions. This is the problem in our culture right now. There are groups of people that are telling you, unless you approve of all of my decisions, unless you approve of my lifestyle, unless you approve of my decisions, then it, then it shows that you, you, you don't love me and all of those other things. But see, what Scripture talks about, Scripture talks about this issue of acceptance, that I can accept you. I can accept you without approving of all of your decisions. I mean, God accepts you. You just look at this theologically. God accepts me. God accepts you without approving of every decision that we make. When you look at this, look at this. 1 John 1, 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of, of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. And so it's, it's, the, it's the fellowship that, that, that gets broken. And so that's what's, what happens when we sin. The third and the last question is simply this. How should a Christian deal with sin in their life? How should a Christian sin? When God makes us aware, when the Holy Spirit makes us aware, convicts us, how should we handle it? And so First uh, John 2, 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But any, if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he himself, the atoning sacrifice. So, so that's what communion represents for us. That's what communion re- reminds us, that guess what? He's, he, is the toning, he is the atoning sacrifice. He is the atoning sacrifice for us, for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those, who, who, uh, for those of, the, of the whole world. And so what, what, what John is writing, John is saying, you know, in a perfect world, you don't sin. But we're human. And so when we sin, we have a Father. We have Jesus Christ that is an advocate for us, that is going to our defense, that is reminding the Father, that is reminding us that I am the atoning sacrifice, and they're totally and completely forgiven. So when you sin, when you sin, you, you have to remind yourself immediately that it's no surprise to God, and guess what, that, that he's already paid the price. He's already paid the price. You have to remind yourself that I have, a, I have an advocate. I have Jesus Christ that went to the cross. And he, he, has paid for, he has paid for my sins. My sins have been nailed to the cross. 
I am totally and completely forgiven. And so then, then we remind ourselves of that, but then we learn to confess it. Look at this, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the word confess means to, to say the same thing as. It means to agree with. It means to come to the place when God convicts you of a word or an action or something that you've said to where you, you come to the place and you just say, God, I agree with you. That was wrong. I agree with you. That word to my spouse, that word to my friend, that action, God, I, man, I agree with you that was wrong. And I'm asking that you forgive me. And to the best of my ability, I'm, I'm going to try to correct that. See, we, we confess. And so, that, so confession doesn't mean, just so we're understanding, confession doesn't mean that we, we like beg God for forgiveness. God, please, 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 please forgive me. God, please, and we ask that over and over. So confession is not begging God for forgiveness. Confession is not bargaining with God for forgiveness. God, if, God, if you forgive me, I will never, like, ne- I will never do that again. You ever done that? God, if you just forgive me, I will, like, never, 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 I will never do that again. Remember Simon Peter? Remember Simon Peter when Simon Peter said, God, I will never, I will never do that. All those other guys will. I will never do that. But, but, but Jesus knew Simon Peter. He knew him. Remember what, what he said? Simon, I need to let you know before the cock crows three times. You're going to do it three times. You're, I mean, you're, you're going to deny me. I mean, he understood. So have you ever come to the place where you've just tried to bargain with God? God, I will never do that. Listen, let me tell you something. If pride is an issue in your life, you're going to deal with pride the rest of your life. If gossip or slander is an issue in your life, then you're going to deal with that over and over and over in your life. Confession, listen, just so we're tracking, confession doesn't take care of the future. Confession takes care of the past and the present. And so you don't have to bar, you don't even have to bribe God. You ever done that? God, if you forgive me, I will go to church every Sunday for a whole year. God, if you'll get me out of this mess, God, if you'll forgive me, I will read my Bible every day for an hour. That's what I'll do. I mean, that's what I'll do. You, listen, you have to come to the place to where you understand what Christ has done for you. You have to come to the place to accept his forgiveness and then learn to forgive yourself. See, that might be where the rub is. It's one thing to accept the forgiveness for God. It's another thing to come to the place that we, like, forgive ourselves. Listen, can I just tell you this? Just from his word, God gets no personal joy. Watching you beat yourself up over a sin that you've committed. There's this misbelief in this gospel issue. I'm just telling you, it's a gospel issue. There is this misbelief that for me to get absolved, for me to get forgiven for my sins, I have to punish myself. I have to pay for it myself. And this was brought home to me here a while back. And and, um, David Letterman, after, after David Letterman retired, um, David Letterman has, has gone on this quest uh, to try to discover God and try to discover the meaning of life. In his words, he, he's made a lot of money, he's had a lot of success, and he's le- it's left him empty. It's just left him empty. And so he's just trying to discover for himself the meaning of life, and then is God, is there a God? Now, now, now he, he's Jewish, um, but he's on this quest. 
And so he's filmed a lot of it, and it's just been fascinating for me. I've watched every one of them. It kind of launched a series for him, and it's just really rough, and some of it's uncut. And so I I just really like it. But here a while back, he he interviewed George Clooney. And he's sitting down with George Clooney. They're having this interview. And then it got around to the big question that, that David Letterman's asked everybody. He said, hey, George, do you, do you believe in God? Do you, do you, I mean, do you understand the meaning of life? And, and George looked at him and says, whoa, you're going to go there? He says, yeah. He says, I, I'm on this quest. And he says, well, he says, you know, I, I, I was raised in church. He said, I was raised in church. And he says, my mom and my dad, I mean, they were, they were great humanitarians, and that's why I, I do that to this day. I mean, we're, I mean, as kids, we're always feeding the poor, and we're helping the homeless, and we're doing those things. And I've carried that into my adult life. I've carried that into my marriage with Emil and some of those other things. But he says, he says but you know, I, w- I, was, I was raised Catholic. And he says, you, we weren't like once a year Catholics or twice a year Catholics. We were there all the time. And he said, so as a young boy, he said, I went, I went, I went to catechism, I went to classes, first communion, I, we, we would do the confession thing and then take communion, and he said, I did those whole r- rhythms. And he says, I started noticing something, as a junior high boy, he said, it was just so embarrassing. He goes, going into a booth and telling some priest, uh, you know, the creepy things you've thought or the creepy things that a junior high boy's done, and then he'd always give me, like, like penance, he would give me stuff that I had to do to get absolved or forgiveness for my sins. And he says, then I started figuring out, even as a junior high boy, I started figuring out, you know what, I don't need a priest to tell me how to work off my sins. I can figure it out for myself. And he says, so you know what I do as a junior high boy? He said, this is just what I did. He said, I figured it out. And so he said, we, we lived in, in, in this house with a, with, a, with a gravel road, a gravel driveway. And he says, so when I did some stuff and I needed to work off some sins, I'd go outside, I'd get a handful of, of like the gravel, the pebbles. I'd go into my bedroom shut the door, lock it, get up on the top bunk of my bed. Uh, I had bunk beds, get on the top bunk. He said, I'd take off my tennis shoes, and I'd take those rocks, that gravel, and put them in my tennis shoes. And then I'd put my tennis shoes back on and strap them back on. And then I'd jump. I'd jump off the second store, the, 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 the top bunk, and I'd land on my feet. And he was painful. He was painful, and I'd roll around in pain, but I knew that, guess what? My sins have been forgiven. And then I got to the place, as a junior high boy, that if, if I can work off my sins, why do I even need God? If I can pay for my sins, why do I need God? See, this was Paul's argument. You read it for yourself in Romans chapter 8. Paul asked the question, if the law can make you perfect, then Jesus Christ's death, he died in vain. He died in vain. And so I think sometimes that Christians, we... We forget. It's a gospel issue. Guess what? You've been totally and completely forgiven. You are deeply loved in him. And sometimes I think we mistake our emotional hang-ups with the voice of God. I feel guilty. I feel shame. And God must be the one. Look, Look, Romans chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousness from dead works so that we could serve the living God? Here's the interesting thing, and, and we'll take communion in a few moments. If you have, if you have your, your elements, the bread and the juice, the cup, you can, you can grab that. If somehow we missed you or you missed us, you can lift your hands and it will bring it to you. Here's the interesting thing, and I started thinking about this over the last weekend, that, that before, Jesus, before Jesus went to the cross, 
And you know the story. He took the disciples to, to the upper room. And he was inviting them to communion. He was inviting them to the table. And hours, I mean, hours before, I mean, they, they would betray him. They would deny him. They would disappoint him. They wouldn't even live up to their expectations. And yet, yet Jesus invited every one of the disciples to the table. And I'm here to tell you, based upon Romans chapter 8, he still does that today. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, regardless of the choices you have made, he says, come to me, all. Come to me, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest for your, for your, for your souls. And he just offers that to us today. You see, when we, when we take communion together, we don't, we don't have to try to picture, does God love me? We don't have to imagine if he loves us because we're holding the bread, the juice that represents his body and his blood for us. It's representation. We know. We know. We can see that he loves us because of the sacrifice that he gave for us. That's why Paul, that's why Paul said in, 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 in 1 Corinthians, he says, let every person examine themselves before they eat of the bread and before they take of the cup. So just bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And Do you just need to be reminded this morning how much God loves you? Man, if you're living right now under shame, guilt, condemnation for something of your past, I, I pray that you'd make sure that lines up with the cross. And that God would set you free of that right now. If there is something that you need to confess, confess it. But you don't have to live under the guilt and the shame. He is not trying to get even with you. He is not trying to punish you. As a believer, you've already been judged 2,000 years ago when he went to the cross on your behalf. And Paul goes on and says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus of the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you that this bread represents your body that was given for us, that was broken for us. And Father, we thank you that your word teaches us that while we were still sinners, you went to the cross on our behalf, so you didn't wait till we got everything straightened up or cleaned up in our lives because we never could have without you. But, Father, you went to the cross, and your word teaches us that no man took your life from you, but you laid your life down willingly for us. And so may we know that you love us and you care for us. May we know that we're totally and completely forgiven. We're deeply loved in you. And you're our atoning sacrifice. You're our atoning sacrifice. 
And we thank you for that. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take of the bread, please? Scripture goes on and says in the same way also, Jesus, after supper, said, this is a cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for, I, for often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that even though this cup just holds juice, it represents your blood that was given for us. And may we know that we're forgiven. Father, right now, I just ask that you just help us not only to accept forgiveness from you, but to forgive ourselves. We can't go back and change the past. We can't go back and change our decisions. We can't go back and change our words. That's impossible. And it will only give us guilt and, and shame if we continue to focus on that. But Father, right now, may we just accept forgiveness of the past. Would you help us to forgive ourselves? And then would we just make a fresh and a new commitment to you that the best of our ability, we're going to walk in newness of life. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take of the juice with me?